she stood there in the doorway with legs that looked to be made of skin and flesh and various other bits of human with eyes batting at me that looked like a batter. Yeah, and what makes you think that I care about where she went? I took an exceptionally long drag of a cigarette. He studied the Wikipedia article, looking for details of Raymond Chandler's life. Puzzled, he thought to himself, I really should have prepped for this a little more, maybe. But no bother. We're just going to wing it anyway, because that's... That's the way things go in this roughneck part of the world. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 30. In this week's episode, we are talking about The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler. I am Ryan. With me is my good buddy and fellow host, Jacob. Yes, hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cult, book something or other, episode 30. This is a big one, yes. right? We're in the threes now. We, we yeah. have a new number. 30 is a pretty, I don't know, 30 just sounds impressive. Like, you yeah. know, it's only one more than 29 and... 10 times the triumphant. We've we've kind of been, we've kind of been at 20 plus for a while now, but 30 is a big deal because we're, we're just about, you know, a year ago, we were kind of, we had, we had already recorded some, but this is kind of when we were going in the whole big mix of of getting everything going. So this is, this is, this is nice. It's a little landmark episode, but it'll be a fun episode. This book was my choice. Uh, I definitely wanted to delve into something interesting that we've never that we've never done on the show, and I think we Nailed got a little it. bit of that this Nailed episode. It. So, speaking of which, traditional episode coming at you, folks. Uh, we're going to uh, tell you a little bit about the author Raymond Chandler. We're going to give you a brief summary, and then we're just going to jump into the book, talk to you a little bit about the characters, maybe some theme styles, but mostly just talk about our thoughts and feelings with some dark, brooding noir jazz music as we puff cigars and drink rye whiskey and, and talk about women in derogatory ways because that's that's the way we roll in the 40s but no I, it's, I literally don't want to do any of that oh all right well we'll scrap that then oh. we'll just do a normal a normal uh, chat fast and then of course at the end we'll give you our uh, patented three tier four if we're getting rid of it uh, five if we're gonna plug it a couple times with our revolver six if we're gonna take some lewd photos of it and and uh, blackmail it for five thousand dollars, which apparently is a substantial amount of uh, gotta adjust for inflation, buddy. Yeah. So, and then of course we'll tell you about uh, what we've got coming up on our next episode after this one. Yeah. So if you haven't read the book, go read the book. It's weird to listen to a podcast about books uh, that you haven't read, but if you're that kind of person, then yeah, I guess and hang around. The great thing about this book too is. Uh, you know, I you you read it right, like on the actual physical copy. Of, oh, I looked at me like you read it right. Yeah, no, no I thought, you have the I, Kindle version. Yeah, I had to read it on Kindle. Yeah, I see. I couldn't find the paper book as well, so I did audio book, which yeah. I I liked. I like doing that. But you know, there's there's been a movie made about this. There's been a couple of different like BBC uh, like long form radio segments that they did really over this. Yeah, so there's a whole lot of different ways to kind of partake in the story, and I think. You know, obviously the book is going to give you the most nitty gritty details, but I think you'll you'll get a little something from any of those that you could probably pick up on what we're talking about on this episode. But for sure, go out, read it, or see it, or consume it before before giving us a listen. So, uh, yeah. So let's talk Raymond, Raymond Chandler. Chandler. 
Uh, so Raymond Chandler was uh, born July 23rd, 1888. Yeah. And uh, died March 26th, 1959. So we can say whatever we want to about him because he gone. That's not how that, well, that's not how that works. Oh, okay. Uh, so he was uh, an American. I mean, he's not gonna. He's not gonna tweet us. We're not gonna get you know. Yeah, anything. that's that's what I fear. We're not gonna most. get any flack, any social media. I don't think there's a lot of uh, Raymond Chandler truthists out there that are gonna flame us on social media if we kind of have anything negative to say about this. So. Yeah. Well, so we have the Great Depression to thank for uh, f- for this book and everything that he wrote. Yeah. Uh, after he lost his job as an oil company exec, uh, he became a, a mystery fiction writer. It's um, an interesting transition. Yeah. Uh, it's. I mean, it worked for him, obviously. Uh, he published his uh, first short story, Blackmailers Don't Shoot, in 1933 in Black Mask, which was like a pulp magazine. Uh, and then his first novel, which we, we read for this episode, uh, was published in 1939. Uh, he published seven novels during his life, um, and people have said uh, that uh, he has several uh, three novels that are regarded as masterpieces. Um, Farewell, My Lovely, uh, The Little Sister, and The Long Goodbye. Okay. Uh, and those were were written. So I was over three. I'm just I'm just plucking out a plucking out a Chan, a Raymond Chandler book. I didn't get either of those three, but yeah, maybe in the future, maybe we'll come back around to yeah, one of poss- those. Possibly, um, yeah, and that's that's kind of the highlight of of his stuff. I mean, he was just sort of a yeah, not really genre. Writer. Yeah, I mean, like the mystery or crime mystery sort of genre doesn't strike me as like a very like critically acclaimed genre fiction that doesn't make it no. any less enjoyable for for what it is and i think this story is definitely you know it's a it's a it was a fun read but not necessarily something that you know is winning nobels or, or pulitzers or anything like that which you know no i feel but, like we've i feel well, like we've 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 had a tendency to get a lot of kind of award-winning works on here in this first year and i think some of that was just kind of for you know, notoriety sake or just things that we were personally interested in reading. And I got to say, it is refreshing sometimes just to read a little, just a little book with, without a lot of like, at least on my part, you know, I always like to go out and learn about authors and, and kind of the yeah. background of the book before I go into it. And didn't really have any baggage for that for this episode. I got to just no. get in and enjoy it. Apparently, uh, Ian Fleming, though, uh, the writer of all the Bond novels yeah. and uh, obviously involved with the movies and stuff, uh, he said that, uh, Chandler offered some of the finest dialogue in prose today. And we can get on to that because I did want to talk a little bit about the the dialogue, the way oh. it was written in this book. So okay, we'll definitely we'll definitely get into that. <laughs> okay, uh, some of this episode. Why are you saying it like that? Because because that's the way it was written in my my book. O K E Y. Well, I guess if you had to listen to the audio book, you didn't see that. Yeah, that is true. I didn't yeah, get little. They, written they spelled O K O K E Y O K E Y. So Interesting. I just I kept reading it out of O-key. out of spite. Okey. Okey. God, yeah, that that joke fell flat because yeah, rip. God rip damn it! You, you should have read the book. Listen, I actually <laughs> I actually ordered it off of Amazon. So spoiler alert! So I guess ha- at the end, how I yeah. feel about the book. But I actually ordered a physical copy after listening to the audiobook. So all right, give anyway, us a summary of this brief, thing. dirty summary. So this is the first in a series of novels, I guess, about our protagonist. But yes, this being the first, uh, it follows our private investigator Philip Marlowe as he's tasked with uh, solving a few mysteries surrounding the the Sternwood family and, uh, more importantly, I guess, their raucous daughters that seem to constantly be involved in 
blackmail and murder, murder and gambling and drugs and pornography, pornography and all these other seedy activities in the uh, 1930s underground L.A. So it's a it's you know it's 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 a fun little novel. And we'll get right into it. Yeah, it was. I mean, I thought it was an easy read. I think the very first thing that comes to mind when you put the book down is it's pretty dated. It's 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 pretty dated. I mean, it's it's one of those things that I can definitely see a lot of readers just like not enjoying it because it isn't something that's very ap- applicable today or it, it's not something that is so easily sort of putting your mind in that sort of era yeah. or in that sort of time. Now, I think that he does a really good job through description and through sort of the the character conversation of kind of setting the mood and the tone. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it's very dated. It's, 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 it's like a slice straight out of, out of 1940s Americana. I could, not to be too political, but I could think of some people that might read this and be like, wow, this is the good old days. I, I miss this stuff. Like, I there's mean, probably a little bit of a subculture these days that I mean, would probably love some of the stuff. I mean, stuff sure. This. Like, reading this book, obviously, it's not very, <laughs> it's not very politically correct, which yeah, no, not is not surprising at all. And again, given sort of the time period and, and the subject matter, you know, I wasn't expecting it to sort of have modern sensibilities. That doesn't make it yeah. unreadable or that, you know, it, it takes a little sec to get like, okay, right. This is definitely a period piece. This is right, definitely, right. you know, something that you, I guess, some readers might have problem with. I, I'm pretty good at just sort of getting into the book and just taking it for what it is, and right. not hi- being hyper, you know, hypercritical about the first. You know, we're in, we're a couple pages into the book, and you know, he's describing Carmen and just kind of this whole like the character of Carmen yeah, in and yeah. of herself, and sort of her interactions and descriptions. It's. It's very much like it's like, all right, cool. This guy is, you know, he's just writing this kind of like ditzy, yep. crazy uh, sort of do nothing woman. And, you know, it's it's not the it's not the greatest. It's not the greatest literary representation of women. I will say that for sure. Within this book, it seems like uh, yeah. most of them serve uh, kind of a purpose of their attraction or they're there to sort of seduce our main character or yeah. just kind of be, you know, a screw up in a way in some ways sort yeah. of and, and hanging on with that. So, you know, that is, that is a little something, but that again, that all kind of comes in with the, the very dated feel of this book. And I, and I will say, you know, having listened to the audiobook version of it, and I'm sure some similar effect would happen with, with reading it. Um, my ability to enjoy kind of the atmosphere and everything going on in this book increased about tenfold when I just was like, all right, I'm just going to search for some noir jazz and, <laughs> And some like, oh, go to rainymood.com and, and get ridiculous. like some YouTube up with Noir Jazz and like crank up the speakers and just like sit back and listen to it as kind of this like assault on the senses. Oh and my God. It, it works. I mean, it does. It really works because I think the only way that you're going to really get into this book is if you kind of just like buy into that whole like grimy 40s crime noir, yeah. you know, atmosphere. Yeah, I agree. This is this is one of those books that you like. You don't walk away uh, with anything from it by yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but it was really enjoyable to to read. Like while while I was in it, like I I I, I was like the like hanging chapters yeah. that make you just want to go on to the next one. And the relatively short chapters Absolutely. is always always yeah. helpful um, to like kind of move things along. But um, 
Yeah, I think I think if you can get past uh, the you know just just dated nature of it and just kind of say whatever it's it is what it is and also like it's an it's I don't know if it's an accurate representation but it is a representation of you know the the thoughts and some actions you know at that time so I mean we might not like it now or think that's acceptable but it was part of our social behavior at that yeah. point in time. So um, it's it's interesting in sort of that sociological uh, lens, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. But um, yeah, I the one thing that like really, really tripped me up in this, this whole thing was um, like you kind of had this, this constant churn toward like, um, like the, the inevitable figuring out what happened to, right. to Regan, right? And, um, you know, you, you had several points where it seemed like the plot was, was being resolved, right. When they, uh-huh. when they figured out, uh, who, who murdered, uh, Geiger Geiger. Yeah. Yeah. was the first guy. And then, then you had the resolution of, uh, of that whole like sub storyline, or I should say macro storyline yeah. to his murder. And then you get to this like third, this third thing. Yeah. The, where the whole third like, act. Yeah. Is is when we kind of get all the time with the Regan stuff because yeah I mean even from we're 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 faced with it at the very beginning you know it's kind of a simple yeah. request Marlo goes in it's like hey I'm being blackmailed by this guy uh, you know for my daughter and I need you to go find out and he's like well this seems like a really odd task for me I, he he mentions that oh a lawyer would be more suited yeah, to go yeah. and negotiate this but you kind of feel like and even he even says it that it's kind of leading up to the to him eventually sort of being tasked with the job of trying to find Regan yeah. because you know Jim, the general even sort of mentions it early on and then Vivian's there to encounter him and we get all sorts of characters you know throughout the the whole uh throughout the whole process of him dealing with Geiger and with the surrounding events after that murder yeah it's like all about this Regan and so we do it, it does feel like there's a lot of like okay this is resolved there there's a lot of time you know halfway through the book and you're like okay so Geiger's dead, <laughs> and then Brody's dead. <laughs> yeah, and they capture, and you know, uh, I guess Taylor, the chauffeur, you know, he's yeah. dead, and yeah, and they capture the guy that killed Brody, and it's like, okay, well, so where's this gonna go now? And then that's when it sort of picks up on finally. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, this is really about you know the Regan disappearance the whole time. Yeah, and I think when you when you look at just sort of like the the craft of of the plot, a lot of times. Like it didn't feel like as satisfying as like a detective novel because you don't really ever see the kind of work as it's happening. You yeah. just get like his exposition as he's explaining it to either the general he, or Oles or he seems very yeah. I mean like we can talk about a little bit more about Philip Marlowe the character because I do want to get into that. But you get a sense from reading this book that he's very sure. And there's not a you don't get a lot of the windows into sort of the inner workings of his process. Yeah, it's just he's like, yeah, well, it's this and it's this. Right. And I followed you because you plugged the guy, and I, you know, yeah. it's like, okay, so he's but how he, did you... he's figured all of this out? We're not really like privy to that. We're kind of we get more of the exposition of what's happening and the description, kind of of the mood of the scene and of right. everything that's going on. And yeah, in some ways, it's it's not necessarily a detective book in that right where we're we're sort of we go through all the processes of him trying to figure all these things out yeah learns about these things relatively quickly and and we talked a little bit about at the beginning of the show too you know there's a lot of parallels obviously with uh, a book we read previously 
excuse me, yeah. uh, inherent vice, right? Where it's sort of a similar scenario where we have a private investigator sort of tasked with one job and then it uncovers this whole other underbelly plot. Yeah. I mean, almost like beat for beat. Um, but, you know, it's it's a completely different sort of time period, the 60s versus the 30s. But right, one right. of the knocks that we had, you know, with that book and Doc is that things just sort of happened to him, yep. right? We yep. didn't really get a lot of like the good sort of like, is he a good private detective? Because things just sort of happen. And, you know, he puts himself in these places for these things to happen, but you don't really see a lot of detective work on his part. Right. The same can be said about Marlowe. Although I do feel like he internally probably has more of that thought process for trying to work through things. But again, we're not really privy to it. We kind of just, the plot just really churns in this book, which is, which is a little bit of a segue into kind of a, a question I wanted to get in. Okay, for you. I did, I don't know what what all questions you had for this. None. I, I I did no preparation for this episode. Wonderful. I, I have no questions. You're good. You're good. Luckily, I have nothing to talk about. You're good. Okay. Well, that's the episode, <laughs> folks. And uh, and uh, until next time, we're putting them on the fourth shelf, which is yeah. a new shelf that I'm creating just for books that Ryan's gonna have to go back and reread. No. Fair enough. Um, okay. So what's your question? So, I my question. Well, I have two. I guess. I, I, we'll back it up. We'll start stylistically with this. I can only handle one question. Okay, well, we'll do one question first. But okay. Before we get into the actual elements of the story, I want to talk about the writing style, or mm-hmm. more particularly uh, sort of the conversational style. And I know we talked about it a little bit being dated, but a lot of this yeah. book is very much hinged on sort of the conversational writing style that Chandler uses between all the characters, because we don't really get... We don't get a whole lot of development in our characters, so like right, everything right. kind of comes out via their conversation and through Marlowe's, you know, it's very much a first person. We don't have an omniscient narrator. We have, it's, it's first person through Marlowe. So we get a lot of description about scenes and people and elements that we're going into. And, uh, I gotta say for one thing, like I, I actually really enjoyed kind of the, the whole, like as a whole, the writing style of this book and sort of the, I don't know, the, the narrative quality behind the conversations. It's, it's one of those things that again, a lot of times you find yourself going like, all right, there's slang and vernacular that's used in a lot of ways that can be confusing. Yes. Um, but it did feel like super, super authentic to kind of the way I'm guessing people in these industries would sort of talk at the time and the, you know, the colloquialisms and the, the slang and all that. And, the the interactions between our characters like that was one of the things that I really enjoyed in this book because there isn't a lot of there isn't this isn't really a slow burn book right like it's constantly churning like Marlo yes. you know there's we get the we get the sense that our character Marlo you know he barely sleeps or he doesn't really spend a lot of time like idle because it's it's really like each scene is him going from the previous one to like something new and something new and something new and something new so there isn't a whole lot of time to get you know to to soak things in, right? It's 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 very much sort of plot churn, and then we get a lot of conversation between characters at these certain events. I just kind of wanted to get your thought on that because I know you're the you're the more literary minded of us when it comes to the sort of narrative styles that that exist in the books that we read. I mean, what did you think about that? So, I mean, he's he's writing in a in a way that. Uh, you know, obviously needs to have mass appeal, right? And mm-hmm. that's that's his his goal. So, you know, I th- I think when you when you look at what is what his objective is, being simple is the key to that. And I think I think he's masterful in that way, the way that you know guys like uh, Clive Cussler and uh, uh, oh God, why am I blanking on all of the like 
sort of action. Like Grisham? And yeah, like, well, okay. Grisham's a little Clancy, bit different. Clancy, Clancy, yeah. Okay. Clancy's the other one I was thinking of. And and that kind of vein of of thing where you're you're not trying to be complicated. You're just trying to get, like, a plot through. Just trying to be succinct. Right. If and there was one word I kind of had to describe to the way that this story was, like, written and described, it, they were, it was very succinct. Like, we got descriptions, but yeah. they weren't, like, super flowery. There wasn't pages and pages of... Of description, it was we kind of got little notes to set the mood, and then it was conversation. Exactly, and to me, it almost it almost reads like a play. Um, like you know, there, there's plenty of dialogues in here, big big chunks even, and then you know, you even have like sort of little bits that could be like almost soliloquies of you know thought or whatever, and then you know, all of the setup kind of explains you know sort of what uh, what the stage should look like. What, yeah, we so get what set. somebody's doing. Yeah, we like get like very action. like set. Like yeah, it, it almost seems like yeah, it would be like set description yeah. for a play. There, there's just there's never a point in time in this entire book where you're pulled away from either dialogue or very tactile imagery about what is happening in that exact minute, yeah. and it's not ever to be. Um, you know, anything big except for like the last paragraph, the end, the end of the book, uh, yeah. where they're talking about the big sleep. That's yeah. the only time you ever sort of, you know, cinematically pull away. Yeah. yeah. Everything else is just very, he picked the can up and put it across the table yeah. for me. And, you know, uh, just, it's just, it, it makes for, uh, I think a really quick read and there's like no confusion about what's going on. Like one of the things I had a problem with, with Pinchon was, that some of the descriptions were lacking and you sort of had to try to piece things together. And part of that was the drugs and, you know, just other stuff. But, um, it was, it was a little bit, you know, Swiss cheese had, had some holes in it. Yeah. And I think literary fiction has that, that shit all the time because sometimes people tend to be a bit more obtuse, you know, right, right, wrong or otherwise. But, um, any rate, yeah, I like the the style of this book. You know, I don't I don't think it rises to the to the level of like being literary, but I, I don't, it was cool. Yeah, I mean, if there's one knock that I had, I guess on the, I guess the the sort of top down the structure of this book would be would be most the characters outside of Marlowe, really because yeah. most of them just sort of feel like set pieces. There's not really any sort of development in any of the characters, they all kind of seem the same from start. And even Marlowe to, to the, that extent, there's not really any, any sort of character growth. This is just kind of like a little microcosm story of things that happen, um, which I've been critical in the past of some books yeah. in that way, because it's like, yeah, you know, with a story, um, you know, you do want to see some character growth, but at, at the same time, this isn't a story that's trying to like sell us on this big idea or narrative or, lesson or yeah it's not really selling you on anything it's just it's just a little dirty you know crime story yeah and so to some extent you know with this being the start of a series and i don't know if this was if chandler was writing this down with the idea of oh marlo's going to be kind of a serial guy that you know because serial stories were big whether through radio or or newspaper you know other things of that nature so i don't know if that's he sat down and was like all right this is my central character and we'll just kind of have these one-shot stories based on these characters around yeah it certainly felt that way. Like none of the characters really had any depth outside of Marlowe. They just kind of were not stereotypes, but they were just sort of like very much filling a very specific like little yeah. role. Boop. They filled their little role and uh, that's about it. And the one thing with that was because we didn't really have 
memorable characters outside of Marlo, it yeah. was a hard time, like keeping track. Like at some time, it's like, well, he shot yes. this guy, and then he shot that, and then this guy's wife ran away with this guy's or with this lady's husband. But really, she killed his husband because she shot at this. It was just like, okay, the problem with having so much churn and so much things going on with this plot with these characters that are not fleshed out or developed really yeah. all that well is that it, it you do you do lose track of who's doing what. So that was the one thing, uh, at least sort of conceptually and, and logistically in this book that kind of had me like stopping going like, all right, hold on. I got to back this up and listen again. Like, who is this? Why, who is this? Who is this yeah. guy that shows up to shoot Brody? And trust, trust oh, me. Oh, it's Geiger. Okay. It was Geiger's, you know, supposed lover that yeah. were, that were led to believe, you know, kind of within, within the story whose name was Carol, I believe. Uh, yeah. I believe the, it was, his name was Carol. I don't know. Uh, that's Carol, the thing. Carol Lund, Lundgren. Yeah. That's the thing. Sometimes it was tough keeping track, you know, outside of, Outside of Marlo and uh, Carmen and Vivian, you know, we those are the ones that we, I guess, see the most of, and we get the most sort of interaction between, maybe a little bit with uh, with Mars uh, a couple uh, yeah. of times when he goes and talks with him. But yeah, so I mean, what did you think about that? Like, I feel like you're kind of in the same boat with me on that. Yeah, I, I think the uh, it, it it is annoying in any book trying to keep track of of characters, especially when their names are so similar and like, you know, so these, these are just generic names, you know, like generic white 1920s names. So like I can't keep track of like Carol and remember that that's a man and Agnes and Vivian and like, just, I don't know, just all of these different, different people that they're, they're pulling in. It got annoying. And it was annoying that, that they were disposable that like, you know, once you got past Geiger, then he didn't matter because then Brody mattered. And then once you got past right. Brody, Brody didn't matter and Geiger still didn't matter. And yeah. like it really, really it was Mars because Mars, you know, in his arrangement yeah. with Vivian. And, yeah. and and so then in the end, the only thing that really did matter was Reagan. And like it, it he was sort of the reason that some of this. Well, I got to think that through for a second. No. So like that didn't even tie cleanly all the way back to the beginning because well, it did kind of, I mean, not really how well, it, you, you kind of have, that's the thing. Cause it's, the first, it wasn't, it's not like a, a perfect sort of, well, this led to this, but yeah. you kind of just have this whole like slosh underbelly of intermingling where you have Carmen is essentially going out and, and you know, doing this pornography and being yeah. kind of blackmailed by Geiger and Brody and, you know, Geiger's running sort of a smut shop and making money right. off of that. And, and then you have Mars who runs the casino and Vivian, who's kind of been, uh, you know, is in debt to him. But, you know, Mars sees an opportunity when when they find out that Carmen kills Regan. Yeah. And so Vivian's trying to protect her sister. And Mars is trying to, I guess, he sees when the general passes away that Vivian he is going to have a lot of money and yeah. he can sort of control that interest. So that's when he sends his wife off to pretend like they ran away together to cover right. for Vivian and Carmen. So yeah, it is this kind of like, you know, weird thing. And, you know, Mars kind of used, I guess, Brody and Geiger as these sort of like small underlings to extract some money out of the general. Yeah. Uh, because they even said, you know, Brody had previously, uh, blackmailed them for with the photos for Carmen, and then we see it again at the end after he gets the yeah the the plate from. So you know, yeah, you do have this sort of it all sort of ties into Carmen killing Regan, and everyone everyone else sort of either trying to protect Carmen in Vivian's case or seeing it as a being an opportunist in in Mars's case as a as a way to try to 
you know, get a hold on them and, and kind of control potential money in the future because we're led to believe, obviously, you know, the beginning with the description of the general's house yeah, and yeah. throughout just that they're sort of deep in with oil money and have kind of this vast fortune. So I can see where you're coming from, but I I think that if the if the third act somehow came around and tied more closely to the first act, like if uh if Regan had uh like rebuffed um Carmen no that doesn't work. But if like if Regan was the one that murdered Geiger like and then somewhere in the middle there like you know he he disappeared and it was all kind of like a cyclical thing um you know then then i think that i don't know if that actual timing works out or anything but i think if you could have tied it cleanly to the beginning this would have been a much more yeah. brilliantly like it, constructed narrative yeah i mean the plot the plot is the plot churns and it's easy to follow but it we do i mean we're led to believe at the very beginning that it's like, all right, it's this kind of like, we're it's like, oh, there's this sort of underground porn ring yeah. where there's blackmail, and then that just falls off so fast, and right. it's, we're it's just like, kind yeah. of led to something else. So yeah, it's like everything that's happening sort of early on in this book are all of the blackmail and the Geiger stuff. It just, it's it in the end, it, it almost is just inconsequential to like everything else that happens the last, you know, one third or half of the book. Right. And so, yeah, there could have, there could have been a little bit more tied in between, I guess, those two strings that Marlowe's being sort of tugged or those two directions that he's being tugged in, whether it's the, you know, the initial bait of, hey, investigate this blackmail with, uh, by the way, yeah, my son-in-law is missing and this is what I'm really concerned about, but I don't necessarily, this is kind of a test to get you into that sort of environment, maybe, yeah. to maybe bring you on retainer as like my person that helped solve all these problems for my 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 dumb women the fixer my dumb daughters every, who are every capable of doing anything everybody needs a fixer yeah pretty uh, much uh i i want to talk about like a specific sequence okay um because and i uh, this conversation will start somewhere different than i think where it'll end but um one of the things that kind of annoyed me about the book was that there there weren't a lot of times where I felt uh, like Marlo was in danger. And the only time that I, I really ever felt that was the tire shop scene. Yeah. Right? Uh, he gets the inner tube slammed down on top of him and then he gets knocked out, yeah. which is uh, which is a great way to, to capture somebody, by the way. Just yeah. Throw a tire over their head. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like that's like, effective. What the hell? Yeah, I, I just, clearly it was effective. Your arms tied down like a T Rex trying. Yeah, to Yeah, I mean, we, you know, he has a gun pulled on him a couple times, and you yeah, know, there's, but it's never, and you know, he gets into a couple of fights, but it always seems like he's just so like, yeah, he's very swagger, like I'm in control. He's of very James Bond about it. It is, you know, and it is. I wouldn't say that we get a. We get a great character study uh, with Marlowe. I mean, no, he is. He's very much like, uh, you know, it's it's it, a, a guy definitely wrote him. And oh, it's definitely yeah, yeah. one of those like, oh, man, if I could be this guy, you know, he's he's flawed because he doesn't have a family and he may not be rich, but he's, you know, he's smart yeah. and he's handsome and all the women His are good value. Literally every woman he encounters throws themselves at him. And, and even, he has the self-control to, yeah, to say even no. Even when he's being held, you know, captive at the end. And, yeah. So right. 
that's yeah. the part that I that I wanted to to transition yeah, the, to from from that scene. So he gets yeah. So he, he's knocked he out. Tired. He gets captured. Yeah. Then he gets tied to like an ottoman, I guess. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, and then he convinces Eddie Mar's wife to let her go or let him go. Yeah, and they share like a kiss and an embrace. <laughs> okay. Did did that strike you as the? Uh. Weirdest fucking thing yeah, that we've read. Weird. We've read in a while. Like all, he he gets tied up by this this guy, and she she's saying like, "Oh, he's gonna beat the shit out of me." Like you know, he's whatever, whatever, whatever. And yet she still lets him go. Yeah, and because she couldn't resist Marlo. And then in some reason, he decides I should just plant one on her because this is just what happens, and it was this passionate moment and there was no signs that this was heading that way other than she cut him loose from a piece of yeah. furniture because she wanted the d right what That's the what actual was. fuck was that yeah. yeah it was a little bit it was a little bit of a jumbled mess there that whole sort of ending sequence and then him with uh you know canino and their little shootout kind of there at the oh, end yeah that that's uh, it, like yeah sh- she pretending that he's oh, no. in the car oh he's a, he's behind the wheel get him and the marla sneaks up man gotcha, gotcha now i can now i have the lady but apparently it, you know nothing's gonna change because i'm guessing they're still gonna try to run that although you know we do kind of get at the end after his whole little spiel with carmen trying to kill him that it's like hey i'm gonna let the authorities know about this you yeah. have three days to get her help and that this sort of whole this charade is ending it reminds me of I can't remember which which Bond film it is. Uh, oh, I'm gonna but, be awful with this. I don't remember a lot. Uh, but he, um, it was it was definitely one of the Connery ones. Um, and he is hooking up with with this chick, and this guy breaks into the apartment, and it's at night or whatever, and uh, there a gun battle ensues, and Bond like. Uh, I don't know if he gets cornered by the guy or if he's standing over him, uh, but the the villain is like pointing his gun at him, and uh, the the scene where Marlowe is is thinking through the revolver, like how many shots the guy's fired, yeah, made me think of when Bond looks down at him and goes, "That's a Smith and Weston, and you've had your six, and then just shoots him, yeah, and uh, yeah. So I thought I thought of I thought of that scene and like then I thought how much like robbery is there going on between these guys that are like writing at the same time in this like ultra chauvinistic like uh just crime and spy yeah. stuff yeah my it, guy's cooler it all started yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> i got my guy's gotta have a cooler one liner and he, yeah the late the his lady captor lets him free and oh he gets lord a, he gets a couple of good kisses in before turning her to his side and, and then he calls her silver wig silver like, wig yeah like i yeah she, what was her name? Do you remember? Yeah, it was something Mars. <laughs> that was uh, I forget her name. I oh. forget her first name, honestly. Was it Mona? It wasn't Mona. No, Mona Grant. Oh yeah, it is. Oh, Mona it was Grant. Mona. Yeah. yeah. Mona Mars. Yeah. Put a feather in my cap for my AKA sweet memory. Silver wig. Yeah. So yeah, that whole sequence was was kind of weird, but uh, you know, followed up by an even stranger one where he goes back and Carmen all of a sudden wants to learn how to shoot at their, uh, you know, way out. Yeah. He knows to put blanks in there because, well, I mean, like, granted, oh. 
everything up until this point in the book would lead me to go like, I'm not giving her a gun. Exactly. She's I was, just, I was she's just crazy. Yeah. When I he gives her the gun, I'm say. like, Jesus Christ, like this is not going to end well. Cause she's, she's been nothing but completely unstable in every single inter, you know, the first interaction she feigns fainting and yeah. it is like fawning all over him. The second time she's drugged out of her mind on ether and naked with yeah. a, a dead guy there. The third time she's trying to, she's sneaking back into the house to try to steal and then she's she's pulling a gun on Brody. Yes. I mean, like, oh my god! So Carmen, like, one, I, I'm, I'm gonna make a couple assertions about okay. about Carmen. One, I think she's the most realistic character of anybody in this book. Really? Yep. Uh, okay. Two, two, I think she's the most interesting character. Sure. Uh, by by a long shot. And three. I think that she would also uh, be perfectly fine in like our time. She's the only character that could time travel from the 1930s or 1920s to to our current time and still not just be like a total weirdo. Like she'd be okay. I mean, as long as she's got her fix and, you know, people to fawn over, I guess. I just couldn't get the whole time, like every day or even when she's in his bed. You know, trying to seduce him. It's just like every description that he uses of her, it's like, boy, she sure is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> he looked at her eyes and their well, empty vacantness. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, all right, I get it. She's yeah. like, she's just she, this ditzy, you know, yeah. like drunk using free flow, 20 something year old well, gal. The, the thumb thing is what got me. Yeah. Like, is she doing like this kind of bit where she's like got her, yeah. just got her thumb just between her teeth? Is yeah, she, I don't know. Is she like fish hooking herself? <laughs> so she just can't like. Yeah, I, yeah. I just I have so many questions about the fingers in the mouth thing. Like I just I couldn't visualize that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Carmen was Carmen was a trip. Um <laughs> definitely a female character written by a dude though, too, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> not not the, that is what it is. Like we said, it's it's a it's a dated book and it's it's interesting to enjoy, but I'm sure I'm sure some uh some female readers have probably just roll their eyes at, at the at the existence oh, yeah. of the of this sort of narrative, and I get it, I get it for sure. It's kind of, I mean, the book is the, the I mean, the genre in and of itself. You know, if you're looking at the time period, it's just kind of like a very like macho chauvinistic sort of feel to it. Which yeah, it's I mean, it's fun. I'm not gonna lie, it's a fun little indulgent book to read and just kind of like shake your head at and go like, God, this is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. But but not not unenjoyable. I no. I would I would like to to see if like what my wife would think about it though. Like, I I imagine probably not as probably not as well received. I feel like this is you know like I said last week not to not to knock on the the Rapinian short story collection, but that I felt like after reading that that had a very specific target audience to it. That, sure. And I feel like this book the same way has a very specific kind of targeted audience. Like you know. Middle-aged white men probably eat this shit up like, uh, you know, like, uh, like soap operas. And right. it, here I am. I'm, I'm, you know, I fall into that category, so I'm down. Let's. <laughs> so, uh, book club question for you. Yes, book club question. Uh, do you think that it's problematic that writers write to potentially a specific audience instead of trying to write to, like, maybe just your general person to, yeah. to write in general. No, um, I think it's interesting when you look at books that feel like they're, they have more of a general audience in mind and kind of have more of a mass appeal. They have their, they have their own flaws in sure. that in a lot of ways, like you try to relate 
to things and they're they're like almost but not just quite relatable. Like underdeveloped yeah, because you kind of have to make everything a little bit a little bit relatable so as to not like off put anyone. Yeah, Whereas yeah. people that know their audience and they write for their audience, I can definitely see with this book, I can definitely picture people in my life that I know that will pick this up and read a chapter or two and just be like, This is awful. Why did yeah. you recommend this? And then I know people that would that would eat it up because it is, you know, it's it's one of those things where if you can kind of tap into tap into a level of interest in a certain group of of readers or certain people consuming it, then they're going to enjoy it and they're going to they're going to read more of that. And you know, you run the risk when you try to do something I guess more for a broad general appeal that you can everyone can love it and you can be, you know, a success and books that I'm thinking that I can imagine have that great general appeal books that we've read and yeah. uh, Gentleman in Moscow, you know, that's a that's a book that I think anyone could pick up and just it's yeah. written for any audience to to appeal and enjoy but you know, I'm sure there are other books that try to go that same route and then they appeal to no one because right, they right. don't quite they don't quite hit any of those notes. So no, personally I have no problem for for genre fiction or or any level of fiction being written with a specific audience in mind. Because I think that if you have a specific audience in mind, that allows your your author to, I don't know, be more honest in the story that they're trying to tell or to at least be more genuine in their characters that they're creating and the atmosphere that they're creating. Because it's like, well, I don't have to appeal to everyone. I just have True. to write the story that I want to write. Yeah. And I know the kind of people that are going to like it. I know the the age demographic or, you know, the, you know, the, the grouping of people that are going to be most interested in the story that I have to tell. And I'm going to try to appeal to them and everyone else, they might find something that they like, but if they don't like it, oh, well, yeah, I can respect that. Yeah. I, I think it's, yeah, I think, I think it's probably, it's probably fine to, you know, just, just write to, you know, what, what, you know, but, you know, I, I do think that, this book probably borders for me a little bit on like the indulgent side of that because you oh, know, sure. it's it. I, I think there's, there's a fine line between like, especially in, in writing, like being an artist and then just sort of, you know, being uh, almost like fan fiction in a way where yeah. you just, you know, you, you write for just the pleasure of it. Yeah. And, you know, even though I, I know this book at no point, ever tries to rise to anything above, you know, what it is, which is a very surface level, just troll through this or stroll, not a troll, a troll but, through it. Yeah. I, don't, I guess, I guess a tro- trolling is a thing, but, uh, there's not a lot of fishing going on. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, I do think it is, it is sort of just a stroll through this, you know, very surface level story that's meant to be just you know, these flashes of excitement and Consume a little bit it. of intrigue yeah. and enjoy and, and that's about it. And set it up. If you like the, if you like the genre, you know, just set you up to potentially do something else with the with this main character. Yeah. As far as uh, I have one last question. Do you have anything else? Before? No. I've got one last question. So of our of the stories that we've read, because again, this is the thirtieth episode, and tying into kind of what we're going to be doing next next episode. Mm-hmm. Of all the the stories that we read that you can think of that have like such a very central character, or at least first person narrated with kind of a central character whereabouts and you don't have to give me the exact ranking but if we're saying in the top middle and bottom third of those characters where would you put marlo as far as like even just just who on criteria he is as a character yeah, just i mean even just kind of like who he is and how the story sort of plays out in his eyes for your level of enjoyment versus some of our other first person narrators that we've that we've had uh putting you on the spot i know this is making you have to 
get into the Rolodex and dig dig a little deep. Yeah, I honestly cannot remember which books we read that were in first person off the top of my head. Uh, Plot Against America? Yeah. That was mostly in first person. Yeah. Yeah, that had a weird narrative There's a little narrative bit back style. and forth I, I on forgot that. about that. Um, Blood Meridian, kind of, but not really. That. Blood Meridian... You just don't want to talk about that. No, anymore. I don't. And it's what's so weird is it's one of our most popular episodes. And I mean, I just it's because don't, it's a very it's, popular book. Yeah, it just I grinds, actually grinds so, my gears. As a little aside, my yeah. uh, my dad and stepmom came into town this weekend, and they were asking me about the podcast. And they yeah. listened to a couple of they listened to our most recent episode, and then they listened to Gentleman in Moscow because my stepmom had just done okay. just gotten done recently reading that book, and my dad was looking through. He's like, I got to find a book. I know he's like blood Marine. I'm like, Oh, you're going to enjoy that. Episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh yeah. I'll lead in with uh, Ryan's not a fan of McCarthy. So w- we get a lot of that in the episode, but yeah. it was interesting. That is so. the episode. Uh, yeah. I, I honestly don't know how to answer that question, but I, I will, I, w- I won't cop out on you completely and say that I, I don't think that a month from now, two months from now, he's going to strike me as a memorable character at all. Um, so I w- would say definitely in the f- lower third. Yeah, quadrant. I, see, I'm thinking about middle third. Like he's he's just one of those he's one of those characters that he doesn't draw me. Um, I guess Bluebird, Bluebird kind of is another one where we get a we get a strong central character. I guess not so much. Uh, yeah, not so much. We we do get some from other characters. There's a lot more development, but Darren is a big kind of central. That was character a close. That was a close third on on Darren. But uh, but yeah, I you know I put Marlo. In like the middle two thirds, leaning probably towards the the bottom half of it, you know, a, yeah. an okay character, not not something that we get a lot of growth from, but you know, he's interesting enough as is that I would be I would be open to reading something else along in this series, maybe yeah. months or whatever removed from now, if we just felt like indulging in some more crime noir or something like maybe getting one of those that's a little bit more critically acclaimed. Yeah, I I curious what uh what those other ones might be like um yeah you know i got to thinking about just like crime and mystery books that i've read kind of trying to like compare him um as a detective and so obviously read um some sherlock holmes sure um i've read uh some of edgar Allan poe's stuff is really great. The uh, murder at La Rue Morgue, I think. I, I, mm-hmm. I fucked that up, but it's one of those things. Uh, that one is really good, and it, it's actually um, sort of credited with being kind of one of the the early genesis of like the whole crime crime like, fiction genre. Yeah, yeah. Um, that one's really good. I've uh, <laughs> I read like when I was a kid, like the boxcar children stuff and okay. some of those like Agatha Christie like kind of things. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so those like that's pretty much my reference and pinch on uh, pretty much my reference point for the genre. Yeah, so I was, I was trying to think like as far as the the like crime solving and mystery genre, I keep getting, getting drawn back to where in the world is Carmen Sandiego. Oh, uh, watching that show as a yeah. kid. And they used to have little uh little kits that you could order back when, you know, yeah. mail order things yep. were a thing, you yep. know, that you would get a brochure from your book fair. I, I had you could order the yes. little like, oh, you got to solve all the car- the mystery. Yep. Where is Carmen? They had like, oh, this is Invisible Link and all this other stuff. So I've always, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for the kind of like 
crime solving mystery yeah. uh, genre. It's just never something that I I don't know. It's it's always been something that I think is more fitting in in other mediums like like television or film. I think yes, because you get a lot more visual. You know, with this book, we get a lot of the dialogue and we get a lot of description, so it kind of puts you in that place. But I feel like so much about those stories work so much better in a visual medium than well, than literary. I mean, so this this was turned into a film. It was. Um, matter of fact, I was talking to my dad about it today because he made a similar comment. Yeah. He's like, never listened to the podcast before 30 episodes in. Yeah. And, uh, and he was like, send me the link for it. And I'm like, okay, well, it's not, not that simple, but I, I can, I guess. Uh, and uh, so anyway, um, he knew the film. He didn't know the book. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's Humphrey Bogart that that plays Marlowe. Yeah. So uh, might be worth might be worth watching and, and comparing now, but yeah, uh, the one thing I I've never seen the film, but the one thing I did hear was that it, yeah, it just like excludes a lot of the pornography plot and all that, which okay. I guess was just you know in good taste in the forties when yeah. this movie was made. I don't know if they necessarily wanted to get too deep into that, so I'm not sure exactly how they go about with those plot threads. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I I first thing I saw whenever I was looking in. To uh, big sleep stuff was like oh yeah there's a movie there's a film adaption of it and a couple of different BBC radio adaptions of it and all these other things so clearly it you know it's like I said I think the genre works well in those mediums yeah even more so than in than in literary so well and and one thing that that is kind of probably a bit avant garde for 1939 was the explicit like explanations of pornography and drug use yeah and, you had and pornography drug use you had kind of the the, inf- the gay lover yeah. angles in there that i would have not expected out of this book so yeah so my guess is you know our impression we gloss over those things now because sure you know we're just so desensitized to them I'm or sure they, they were they were big not points even, of, yeah. of controversy like, within literary crowds back in the day i'm yeah. sure no, nobody. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. Most people, I think, don't, don't care about you know gay relationships, and uh, I don't think we have ether around anymore. Uh, so That's much too bad. Like uh, too bad. So I don't. I don't think anybody really has a preformed opinion about ether. Uh, can't can't get medical prescribed cocaine anymore. Right. I mean, what what is this world we're living in? The '30s were just so much of a so much of a better place to be. I feel in almost every regard. The sarcasm is just dripping. Yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think I would have wanted to. So let's live get to ratings. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, let's get to let's ratings. Do you want to do this first? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna throw this one on my bottom shelf with okay. with all my other books that uh I probably won't read again. But if somebody came over and said, "Hey, I need, to, I'm, I'm here for the weekend, like you know, whatever, I, I want to read something, it, something I can grab and toss at him and be like, uh, you'll enjoy the hell out of this. Quick read. Yeah. Uh, and you can just read it, forget it. Yeah, I feel like I enjoyed the book a little bit more than you. Like I'm, I'm probably a little bit more open to potentially going back on something in the series later. But it's gonna be, it's gonna be like a, a middle shelf book for me, kind okay. of for the same reason. Like I'm not gonna put it on the top shelf. It's, I don't really have an urge to reread it. It's not a universal recommendation. But there's certainly people I know that would enjoy it that I can recommend it to. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to maybe go back and, and read another book, get another taste in the series to see kind of the way that Chandler goes about maybe cause this was his first work. Maybe in some others we get a little bit more out of our supporting cast. Cause I think that yeah. was the one thing kind of missing in this book was outside of Carmen. You didn't really have a lot of energy from your supporting cast in the story. So yep. Yep. yeah, it's like middle shelf, probably leaning towards the, the, the bottom third of the middle shelf for me was where I would probably put it. So fair enough. 
not a bad pick, by the way. My my spot on the shelf is is not a uh, oh. is not a knock at the book. I would I would certainly pick something else up by him. I just wanted to you know we've there's still a couple of uh, we still really haven't done a lot of a lot of sci-fi. We've done no fantasy. I just kind of wanted to yeah. to to throw us into like a nice little fun genre fiction piece. Just to get us in that that little mode. So. Well, it worked, and we did it. Yeah, so, fun stuff. Um, Episode Dirty 31. Yes, is going to be a non-traditional episode. We are not going to read a book. Yeah, so guess what? Everybody can listen to it. Because yes. you will not, there's no required reading for this one. Well, I mean, kind of. If you want to, we're going to talk about we're talk 30 about different books. Yeah. So, I mean. Yeah, this is going to be kind of our not... Not like yearly recap, but it's just, you know, it's going to be a nice little like low-key episode. We're going to talk a little bit about kind of the last 30 episodes, the books that we've picked. Yeah. Uh, you know, now that we've had some time away from some, maybe some of our, our opinions have changed. I know I, I've got a couple that I that I kind of want to throw out that maybe yeah. reassess for ratings now removed a little bit. I was going to suggest that we recap all of our ratings and we allow ourselves the opportunity now that we are a year wiser to completely redo our ratings okay. and resort our bookshelf. Fair enough. That'll be interesting. So okay. we'll do that. And then uh, we've got a few things that we want to talk about coming up with uh, our future episodes and maybe yeah. ways, different ways that we're going about picking books and maybe even some different structural changes like two-part episodes Ooh. Ooh. Uh, to get us to allow some time to maybe get into a little bit heftier books because we we have kind of been limited by you know the structure of a book every two weeks we're yes. turning them out so it's a quick but yeah quick we'll, we'll we'll get into that so it'll be a fun episode won't be i don't think it's going to take too terribly long so. it's going to be a full hour i plan on doing 30 minutes of bullshit 30 minutes of book okay and uh yeah all right it'll be four hours It'll just be a marathon talk session from us. It'll be like a micro. We could do four hours. You yeah, know we, we, oh, could. we could easily do four hours. I don't think anybody would want li- to. People would just, oh, a new episode's out. Four hours? We'd get three lessons. One from you, one from me, and one from my mom. That would probably well, much like be fucking it. hardcore history is like, they have six-hour episodes. Yeah, like, that's intense. That's we can. That's intense. I like an hour. An hour is good, you know, for Dallas in commute. If you're, uh, yeah. you know, I could find myself in, in traffic for an hour pretty much doing anything, so it's nice, but. That's true. That's yeah. true. So next next episode thirty one, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, it's gonna be non traditional, no no specific book. But then we're gonna get back into it afterwards with your pick that you don't have for us yet. Uh no, I don't. I mean, I have a list of books that I'm that I'm picking from for my next. Okay, next but we'll few find. Picks. We'll we'll have to wait. And yeah, see. We're, maybe we're, that'll pop up on social media, or we'll get that uh, next episode. No, it, we're gonna get it next episode. Okay, and All then right. and then it'll pop up on social media. All right, fun stuff. Gotta yeah. keep everyone in suspense. Exactly. So. Well, thank you for listening to to this week's episode. Uh, next time we do not have a book. It is just a recap of the thirty books we've already read. So thank you for listening. And until next time. Thank you.